Well, good morning. As the, um, as the old saying goes, before I preach, I have something to say. Thank you. Try not to get too emotional, but on behalf of Texas Baptist, thank you for today. Uh, and I'm convinced, I believe, and I pray that the best days of cooperative ministry between the Baptist General Convention of Texas and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary are yet to come. So, now I'm a little emotional, and I'll tell you why. Because when we were driving in today, um, I pointed out to Kathleen the duplex I lived in when I was three years old when my father was a student here at Southwestern Seminary. It's still there. I trust they've done some work on it. But this is a special place to me, and I'm honored to be representing our Texas Baptist family today. So I thank you for the kind and gracious invitation. And I'm a little intimidated. I'm not a Bible scholar. Now, I know some, and they're all over here and here, and they're everywhere. I am not a Bible scholar. Uh, my brothers say I'm educated beyond my intelligence. I am a Bible reader. And I'm about to finish my 31st year in a row of reading the Bible all the way through. And so, When you extended the invitation for me to come today, my, you know, my initial inclination was to take the opportunity to make sure the Southwestern family knew about the great mission and ministry work of our Texas Baptist family. And I wanted to talk about the 125 Baptist student missionaries we have on campuses, college and university campuses all across Texas. I wanted to do that. And it's a great story to tell. I wanted to talk about the 50 churches we started last year in the midst of a pandemic. I wanted to talk about the thousands of people that through the ministry of the Baptist General Convention of Texas have come to faith in Jesus Christ on the border between Texas and Mexico and Brownsville and El Paso in the last two years. And the work we're doing even today in Del Rio, Texas. I wanted to talk about those things. I wanted to talk about the great disaster relief and recovery work that we do and the lives that we touch and the churches that we help. And I wanted to talk about all of that. But, you know, you make the mistake of starting to pray about something. And so, naturally, that led me to the classic 1987 film, The Princess Bride. Now, if you know that movie you will know that it's a true love story. You would know that there's a princess-to-be buttercup and that there's a farm boy hero, Wesley. And as the movie progresses and begins to approach the end, 
Wesley's two friends, Inigo Montoya and the really big guy, take the now wounded Wesley to the doctor, to Miracle Max, who, after a less than thorough examination, declares Wesley only mostly dead. And so today I want to talk a little bit about being only mostly in. Let me take a few minutes and try to explain what I mean. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And I'm going to read just verses 15 and 16. But the whole text really is John 17, 6 through 19. But for our purposes today, just follow with me as I read John 17 at verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Some questions that just come to my mind and heart when I read that text and those verses. And the first question is, what in the world? You ever ask that question when you come across something maybe you haven't seen or noticed before, you come across something for the first time that's fairly remarkable, and the, the question naturally froze, what in the world is that, and what is this? And this is the prayer of Jesus for his disciples. It just strikes me. When the opportunity came for the Son of God, the Savior of the world, to pray for his followers. When the moment presented itself, when it was time for Jesus Christ to pray for his followers, this is what he prayed. He prayed that we would be unified. He prayed that we would be sanctified. He prayed that we would be protected. He prayed that we would be able to rightly find the safe space between living in this world but not becoming one of it. I think back to the prayer of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. When Solomon, taking over from his father David, was given the opportunity to pray and make any request that he wanted to make. And he prayed for discernment, for wisdom, for the ability to govern this people over whom he had now been entrusted. He prayed, and that prayer was a pleasing prayer to God because he did not ask for long life. He did not ask for wealth. He did not ask for honor. He did not ask for the destruction of his enemies. And then Jesus has this opportunity to pray for his followers, and he doesn't pray that in worldly terms they would be successful. He doesn't pray that in terms of the way the world thinks that we might be powerful. He doesn't pray that we would 
be anything other than wise, discerning, and able to find that place and navigate it correctly between living in the world where we are and not becoming one of it. What in the world is this? This is the prayer of Jesus, that we would find that place and know how to live rightly in this world, but not yet become too much a part of it. Why in the world? Why in the world would this be the prayer of Jesus? You know, I have contemplated that so much really over the last number of years. So I just propose to you that when you ask the question, why in the world does Jesus make this his prayer for his followers? I propose to you that it is because Jesus knew this would be not the greatest challenge they would ever face, but this would be the greatest temptation they would ever face. I am proposing to you that Jesus Christ knew that his followers would be constantly tugged in two different directions, and he is praying that they not submit to either. So direction number one is the temptation to find and seek favor from the world. That's a real temptation. And God's people have always struggled with it. I think it's the greatest struggle that the people of God have ever faced and ever will face. Go back to the Israelites. They come out of all those years of bondage. They're barely on their new journey. They run into a rough patch, and what do they want? They want to go back to Egypt where it's comfortable, where it's familiar. That's a great temptation. We like comfortable. We like familiar. Oh, and then there's Joshua. And Joshua says, choose, folks, please. It's time. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to live like the Amorites in whose land you are? Or will you be like me and choose to serve the Lord your God? Oh, and then there's that time when Samuel is pleaded to by the people of Israel. And they ask him, they beg him, almost demand of him, Samuel, give us a king. Why do they want that? It's as if they said, everybody else has one. We want a king. The greatest temptation that God's followers, the followers of Jesus Christ ever face is this. It's natural. We are, we naturally have a tendency where we want to be comfortable. Who doesn't want to be liked? Who doesn't want to fit in? Who doesn't want to belong? Who doesn't want to have that favor? And the tug of the world is strong. It is real. And Jesus said, God, keep them from that. But he also prayed as they find that protection from the evil one, do not let them be so determined to not be of the world that they develop an attitude that is so arrogant and language and deeds that are so abrasive that they drive away the very people they're trying to draw in. Do not let that happen to my disciples. 
And that's a real temptation. We do not want to be one of the world. And yet, as sometimes we try to speak the truth, we do so and it is void of grace and love. And all of a sudden, what we're trying to say is not being heard because how we say it is overwhelming what we're trying to say. And all of a sudden, the message fades and the people who need to hear it miss it. And so I just wonder, is this not why Jesus prayed? That we would find that right place. Why in the world? Where in the world? Where in the world does this apply? Well, Jesus knew his disciples were about to be transitioned off and here, there, everywhere, all around the world. And he knew that the evil one would follow them. He's there everywhere. The enemy is always present. The temptations are unrelenting. And so wherever in the world they would go, he is asking that they would be able to navigate into that safe place of, not, of being in the world, but not being of it. There's a story 1936, January, the state of Alabama, a former student of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is sitting across the table from a missionary and musician B.B. McKinney asked the missionary who has just told him that because of health reasons, he'll not be able to return to his mission field. And B.B. McKinney says to him, so what next? Where will you go? And the missionary said, wherever he leads, I'll go. And before that conference was over, B.B. McKinney had written both the words and the music to that song. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Students, as I have thought about this and have prayed for you, it is just burdened on my heart. Wherever God takes you, go there. Wherever God leads you, go there. But when you get there, follow those New Testament directives and pay attention. Be alert. Stand firm. Be on your guard. Find that place that is safe, protected, Find that place that has you living and, and effectively serving in this world, but yet you have not become one of it. To be in the world, but not of it, does that not mean that we are the ones who are to have influence on the world rather than being influenced by the world? So wherever you go, seek to be that person of influence. Where in the world? How in the world? How in the world do you do this? I've wondered that a lot. How in the world do we successfully navigate into that place where we are having influence but not being influenced by? How do we do that? So... There seems to be a number of arenas in which we find ourselves. There, there's society and there is culture. 
And then there's this ministry field where we are. And then there's the church family with whom we relate. If, if, the, if your church is, if your, your ministry calling is into the local church. So you've got these three places. And so I've tried to formulate this in my own heart and, and live it out in my own life. The, the, the three things that come to me are these. And that is that wherever you are, how do you do this? Is one of the ways you have to be informed. Seek information about the society and the culture, certainly. Be informed. Watch the news. I try to watch the news. You have to be careful with that. It can be depressing. It can also have influence over you. And you have to draw the line. Watch the news. Be informed, but be careful as you do so. Be informed about your ministry setting. The first church that I ever had the privilege of pastoring was the first Baptist church in Blum, Texas, 41 miles from this pulpit. And then later on, I pastored in Hopkins County out in northeast Texas. But both of those communities were strong dairy farming communities. I did not grow up on a dairy. I grew up on a small farming community out in far west Texas, out there where the trees don't get in the way of the scenery, I didn't grow up on a dairy farm or in a dairy community, but I had to learn the language. You know, how many thousands of dollars do we spend on helping missionaries before they go off to the field, learn the language, learn the language of where you are serving? I had to learn the difference between a Holstein and a Jersey. And if you don't know, the Jersey cows are where you get your milk for your ice cream but the Holsteins, the black and white ones, those are the ones that produce more volume. Therefore, those the regular milk that you drink. That's, that was free. <laughs> Learn the language of that place where you are. And if I could meddle for a moment, I had the privilege of being in a different church somewhere in Texas every Sunday. And I'll soften how I say it to Kathleen for you, but I am surprised far too often at the pastors who are not at the back door of the church, greeting their church people on the way out, getting information moment after moment so that God can use what you gain from them and therefore have something that he uses to guide you in what you're going to say the next Sunday. Just be informed. But you know the little phrase, TMI, too much information? You have to draw a line. Be informed, but draw a line. Be involved. Be involved in society. You know, I know a number of pastors and other church leaders on staff who choose periodically to um, run for the school board or run for... City Council, I always think, what? Are you not getting enough complaints already? <laughs> so that's a decision they can make. When I was the pastor in Blum, it wasn't that I didn't know anything. I didn't even suspect anything at the age of 24. But when they came and asked me to run for mayor, I knew better. But do be involved. Find some way somehow to be involved in the society and in the culture where you are. Find a way to be involved in the community where God places you. Not long ago, I attended the 150th anniversary of a church 
they had many of their former pastors back. And in this particular town, there was a, there's a restaurant on Main Street, a four-generation restaurant. And pastor after pastor stood up and talked about how they had been to this restaurant and met so-and-so and met so-and-so. And everyone in the church, the place was packed, and they all knew the restaurant and the family. And then one pastor stood up and said, I wish I had known about, and he named the place, and you could hear the gasp in the church. Would it surprise you that that particular ministry was not necessarily effective and didn't end very well? Just be involved on some level. Be involved with your church you know the old saying, I'm sure your professors tell it to you all the time, do not ask your people to do something you are not going to do yourselves. Just be involved with your church, with your community. Be informed about your church, your community. That reminds me, if you live here in Fort Worth and you're serving here in Fort Worth, everyone who serves in Fort Worth needs to know why Fort Worth is called both Cowtown and Panther City. And if you don't know that, be informed. Be involved. Invest. Invest yourself in that place where God takes you. I can take you to a town. I'd love to do it today. It's a ways from here. It's in Texas. Sizable community. 5A high school. One high school in the town. The school colors are purple and white. They built a brand new stadium not long ago. Every seat in the football stadium, and it's a sizable stadium, every seat in the football stadium is purple, except one, and it's red. Why a red chair in a football stadium filled with purple when the school colors are purple and white? Because there was a pastor at the First Baptist Church in that town who for 40 years so invested himself in that community. When he finally retired and stepped away from the pulpit, he was honored by the church. He was honored by the school. He was honored by the community. He was honored, if you will, by the world because that pastor wore red socks every single day. I'm simply saying... Invest yourself, but not so much so that you're spent completely and don't have time for the Lord and his word, and you don't have time for your spouse, and you don't have time for your children, and you don't have time for yourself. Invest, involve, be informed. You know, there's a phrase, I hear it all the time, and, and I like it. The phrase is all in. I'm all in. I like that. When it comes to Jesus and his church and serving, I'm all in. When it comes to Jesus and his will and his way and his word, I'm all in. But when it comes to this world, I recommend only mostly in. And the Holy Spirit will help you know where to draw that line. And Jesus prayed for his disciples, and I think that 
affects you and me. Find that place where you are safely serving in but not of. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the education that I received here. Thank you for the ministry preparation that came my way here. And Father, I pray for the students who are now receiving education and ministry preparation here. And I pray that as you send them out, Father, I pray that you would give them all the wisdom they need, all the strength that they need, everything that they need. God, I pray that you would give them everything they need to serve well, to make a difference, to influence in this world, but keep them safe from the evil one. Protect them. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.